Thank you very much. It's good to be back with you again. Thanks to everyone that um, has wished Michelle and I congratulations on our daughter and our, and our new granddaughter. Um, it was a little bit of an anxious week this week for our daughter. Her husband, Grant, this week had to go away to a funeral. Um, and so our daughter was home alone with a newborn, not even a week old, and um, for the first time. And so she was quite anxious. So she made a number of phone calls to Michelle. And Michelle was doing a great job in reassuring Samantha that, sweetie, everything will be okay. I overheard Michelle make one comment to our daughter. One positive thing about being on your own is you can put the TV on and leave it on all night and watch whatever you want to watch. She went on to explain what she meant by this. She said, I'm not sure if Grant um, always hogs the remote control because your dad definitely does. And the worst thing about it, Samantha, is your dad's a channel flicker. He sits there and flicks through all the channels. Samantha told Michelle that, yes, Grant was exactly the same and it drives her bonkers. Michelle said, well, sweetie, tonight you can put on the, put on the TV and own the remote control. I'm not sure if you're like me and you're a channel flicker, but if you are, have you ever flicked channels and come across a show that then gets you sucked into watching it? It stops your channel flicking. I remember when I was channel flicking once, I got sucked into watching a show on SBS. It was a show from one of those history channels. The program was looking into the archaeological evidence about religious practices in history around the time of Pentecost. The program was really focused on and pointing out and showed in model and animation form how some of the great temples and different, of the different gods in Luke days. Now, I'm not sure whether it's true, but the show revealed how most religions used all kinds of sophisticated machinery and chemistry to wow the crowds into believing in their gods that they were praying to and visiting. It was quite fascinating seeing how so mechanical engineering was employed in some of these temples and statues. You could hear them groan, you could hear them speak, you could see them cry tears, and you could see them drip blood. There was even a temple to Zeus that had an iron chariot that seemingly floated in midair around the statue. The narrator of the program commented that the competition was very steep in those days for religious followers. His closing comment in the show was this. This was mainly due to the fact of an upstart new Jewish religion known as Christianity. This religion had no temple shows and no wow factor. Then the narrator ended the show with that. While it's true this new Jewish religion had no magic shows, they had something to draw the crowds. They definitely had the wow factor. Over the past month, we've pulled apart Acts 2 42, which says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Well, then directly after that, Luke writes this. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs performed by the apostles. So from this, my point today is this. A genuine church is amazed. 
You know, we use words and the use of words is interesting. Jonathan was uh, mentioning on Thursday night at Ben's Bible study how each generation has always had a lingo all of their own and how words can change over time. And he's right. You think of words like hip, far out, out of sight, rad, groovy, cool, bad, and all of them have been used at different times or another. Today's generation is no different, but the big difference seems to be the in lingo changes so fast it's hard to keep up with current usages. I know I found when I was working in schools and listening to kids talk on school bus, I would often have to ask them, what does that word mean? Because it didn't exist two weeks ago. There are many reasons why groups um, adopt certain set of words for their own use. But one reason is they want to express a common understanding or feeling quite quickly. These words serve as code words, a kind of a shortcut expression. And people who are part of the in-group use these expressions and they know exactly what they mean. However, when a word is used too often, it can lose its impact. That's why I guess we change words so much. Words can become less impactful when we use them over and over again, especially if we lessen the significance of those words. I remember our tuck shop convener at uh, school. Her name was Kathy and she was great. Um, she used to do so much for me. And I would always say to her, oh, thanks, Kathy, you're a legend. And she'd always say, no, I'm not. Legends are dead. And I'd say, well, you're a living legend. And she says, there's no such thing. That's just to lessen the word. I often think words can lose their impact. And one word that falls into this category, losing its true meaning over time, has been the word awesome. I know in my own life I've used this word awesome so often that it's just become a slang word. At times, everything is awesome. A friend of mine may have some hot chips and I'll say, can I steal a couple? Sure. Oh, Awesome. How did you go with your test? Did you pass? Yeah, I passed. Oh, awesome. Let me ask you, do you think passing your test or scoring some chips is what this word awesome is meant to be about? I don't think so. I remember talking to my dad and I've never seen it, but he said one of the most awesome things he's ever seen in his life was the Grand Canyon. And I've spoken to other people that have mentioned it as well. I know June come up to me this week and congratulated me on our newborn baby. And she said, Garth, she says, you are going to experience something of holding the grand, your grandchild for the first time. She says that is something that she has never, ever forgot, that experience. And she even admitted to being jealous that Michelle and I get to experience it. Surely these are the kind of situations that deserve the word awesome attached to them as opposed to passing or test or screwing some chips. Surely things that should be linked with this word awesome are things of greatness, things that inspire a high appreciation, things that take our breath away, things that we experience that inspire a great sense of awe with incitement. This word awesome not only expresses a certain dynamic event, it expresses more than facts. The word awesome communicates how we feel about what actually happened. To say something is awesome is to say how you feel about that event. And for it to be awesome or to be filled with awe, surely the event has to be a life-changing experience. 
Well, according to Luke, this is exactly the position these people were in. This community experienced something absolutely new to humanity, the dwelling of God with his people. I love the words Luke uses in this passage, continually devoting sense of awe. But do you notice the word at the start? Everyone. Everyone was filled with awe. Some teachers say the fact that Luke uses this word everyone tells us that he's not only referring to those who believed. It also refers to everyone who was there, who saw what had happened, even those who weren't added to the number. Those who believed would have been in awe of the events to see the enormity of what it meant that Jesus Christ had come and fulfilled the scriptures. To those who didn't believe, they were still would have been in awe at the fact that so many people had suddenly been converted in their life and changed their behaviour. In all, there would have been a sense of awe, something major going on, and everyone was being swept up and being a part of it. Those inside that were swept up would want to grow. Those on the outside would want to know. But even if Luke is only referring to the believers, we can know this. God was at work in this group of believers and every one of them was filled with awe. They had been saved by his grace. They were now devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. And what was the result? Their hearts were filled with awe. So without trickery of great temples of the day, everyone in this time saw the wow factor. Everyone was filled with awe. Everyone had a deep emotional feeling with inside them. Let me ask you, does that describe how you are sitting here today? Do you still have a sense of awe inside you when you think of God? Does it still cause a deep emotional moving feeling with inside you? You know, I know some Christians believe and teach feelings and emotions shouldn't be affect our Christian lives. Faith and belief, that's what's important. Faith and belief should always override your feelings and emotions. Is that the way you see God? Do you think God isn't a feeling and an emotional God? Well, I certainly do. Feelings are important to us, more important than we'd like to own up to. Feelings affect our minds. Feelings can literally cripple us physically if they are strong enough. Feelings can overwhelm a person to the point where they don't even want to get out of bed. On the other hand, feelings can impact us positively as well. Take the life of an athlete. Do you know there's been many studies done and it has been proven that sometimes the difference between success and failure is in an athlete is how they feel at the time about how confident they are. One athlete who is confident will succeed, while another athlete of equal or sometimes greater ability may lose because they feel overwhelmed and lack confidence. Sure, but that still doesn't answer the spiritual side of our life. Faith and belief, not feelings and emotions, are what to guide our relationship with God. Well, let me ask you this. Can our attitudes, our feelings, our emotion affect our relationship with God? Our attitudes do not change how God feels about us, but they can definitely change how we feel about God. How we feel about God can enhance or inhibit 
our ability to trust him and receive from him. This first church was filled with the awe of God. This wasn't just a going through the motions. They were actively serving him. They were filled with an excitement of seeing God work in and around them and working through them. One way this word is translated is fear. To be filled with all means that we are filled with irreverent fear before the presence of the Almighty. Being filled with all means that we have gone beyond our earthly view and have caught a glimpse of the eternal living God. It means that we've caught a vision of his greatness, his holiness, his power and his love. This is the kind of atmosphere where God begins to work in power. This is the kind of attitude we need in our lives today. This is the kind of attitude we need in our churches today. This was what the early Christians experienced as they began to follow Jesus and share with others. A God-honouring church knows God is at work around them and in them, and they anticipate seeing him at work. There is not enough of this in our churches today. We need more of a sense of this awesome God. We need to be more awestruck by his greatness, his holiness, his power and his love. Do you know, I often make the comment, we don't have a good God. We have a great God. Do you believe we have a great God? Do you believe we have a powerful God? Then if we do, guess what? That's awesome. That's life-changing. That should fill your feelings, emotions and inner being with awe and amazement. Now, you could say, yeah, that's okay for the early church to have this because they had the privilege of constantly seeing God at work in mighty ways. I mean, as you read the verse, one thing that jumps out at you is the fact that there were miraculous signs and wonders being done by the apostles. So you could say they were only full of awe because of the signs and wonders that the apostles were doing. But what exactly were they doing? Well, the word wonder is from the Greek word teras. It's a miracle that reveals a hidden truth. It is something that is done in order to bring out a reaction from those who see it. It is intended to bring out a change on those who witness it. It is something that extends beyond what is normal and thus considered to be miraculous. When it is done, it is to be attributed to the Lord because there's no other explanation for it that it could occur. It's a God thing. Signs come from the Greek word. I hate saying Greek words because I'm getting wrong. But simenon. It generally is given to authenticate, corroborate or to confirm a person. Whereas the wonder is the thing itself. The sign stands that testifies to the person. The sign is the person who performs the miracles are chosen by God. There is no doubt that God worked in a special and unique way through the original apostles. Throughout the Bible, God granted his disciples the ability to perform miracles. Early on, Jesus sent them out to heal and cast out demons. So the apostles have performed miracles before. For this reason, they have and will ever will be an honour place in the kingdom of God. Even Paul alluded to this in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says, the thing that marks an apostle, signs, wonders and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. The important thing, however, is we must always remember every miraculous sign and wonder done by the apostles was never recognised as their own ability, as their own skill or as a magic trick. 
It was always recognised as the work of Jesus doing through them. These miraculous signs and wonders were clear demonstrations of the power and effective work of the word of, of the Lord in their life. Everyone would have known that. The miracles were done in order to validate their message was from Jesus. Jesus gave them this confirmation as their office and approval by the Lord concerning their ministry. Even though these signs and wonders confirm their office and their approval by the Lord, they always ultimately pointed back to Jesus himself, revealing that Jesus in his ministry among Israel, he was exactly who he claimed to be, the promised Messiah. The miracles of the apostles were not magic shows to wow crowds. They weren't trying to compete against the temple shows that I mentioned about earlier, nor were they ancient equivalents of modern TV evangelists doing healings and nation TV programs, which sadly sometimes is all about the show itself and gaining supporters. The miracles done bore witness to the presence of the work of Christ by the Holy Spirit in their lives. So while it's true, we can think this being filled with awe and seeing great signs and wonders, this was part of God doing something wonderful for the church back then. But really, we don't see that anymore. So signs and wonders are not really relevant for us as a church today. It could be easy for us to conclude, yeah, it's easy for them to be filled with awe. They had the apostles doing miracles. If only we had those great signs and wonders today, then we could be filled with the same kind of awe. Do you know, this brings me to a great question. Why in our churches today don't we see miracles, signs and wonders? I mean, aren't we all attracted to the prospect of seeing things like that? Wouldn't we like our God to do a few of those things for us? This is exactly what the religious leaders asked Jesus to do. It wasn't show me the money. It was, Lord, give us a sign. Show me a sign. Show me a miracle. We like to focus on these amazing displays of God's power. So if they happened, then why not now? Why don't we see them now? Well, let me share you three of the most common teachings on why we don't see miracles today. The first group, so this is going to be teachy, I know, but just bear with me for five minutes. The first group is known as a cessation. Their belief is that all wonders and miracles and signs have passed away with the original apostles. They teach this was, um, there was no New Testament section in the Bible in these days. They never had the New Testament speeches. So how would people know what they were saying is true? The miraculous gifts were given to authenticate the brand, the new message being preached to the apostles at the time. They believed during the establishment of the early church, miracles needed to happen, especially if they were competing against all those other religions and special temples. The miracles served as the purpose of proof of what they were saying. So if you were asked to, if you're asked a cessationist, why don't miracles happen today? They would say the signs and wonders ministry of the apostles was unique to them and unique to their time. It is the apostles who had this power. The signs and wonders were given to testify to the church and the authority and the office of the apostles. When the apostles died out, guess what? So do the signs and wonders die out. 
There are no more apostles to do signs and wonders today and reveal the truth of Jesus. But we don't need them because now we have the Bible. The Bible does that. They will tell you the purpose of the Bible is to be a witness to the workings of God in Jesus Christ as it is given by the Holy Spirit. And we are to accept it as such as doing a personal evaluation of it. When we accept the Bible to be true, they say, we don't need signs and wonders anymore. After the church was established, the New Testament was completed. That became the apostles' teaching. And the New Testament was proof enough of those teachings. So signs and wonders are completely unnecessary today for our walk. Those in church are to walk by faith, not by sight. If we're expecting signs and wonders, we're not adhering to this law. And when one claims that people are still exhibiting signs and wonders, they teach that this is actually contradictory to the word itself. So now as believers, we are to believe by faith in the true word recorded on the passages of the New Testament. For this reason, we don't need miracles and signs anymore, so they have ceased. So cessation is one theory. But another theory is rationalisation or rationalism. Rationalists believe and teach the reason we don't see miracles anymore today is because they never really happened in the first place. The goal of a rationalist is to explain away the miracles um, because they do not fit their worldview. Attempts have been made by rationalists to demythologize the life of Jesus. What does this mean? Their whole ambition is to try and remove the miraculous elements from the story of his life. As I said, for this group of people, they don't believe the miracles ever happened in the first place. They believe fanatical disciples added or embellished the story as they retold it years later to make it sound better. So rationally, they can't happen today because they never happened in the first place. The final view I'm taking on that we don't see anymore is limitationist. This teaching focuses on our limitations as human beings. The main belief here is this. We can only see things from our limited perspective. None of us can see things from God's perspective. Because of this, we don't understand God's ways. They teach how there are many examples from Scripture, how God's people miss what God was doing simply because of their limited vision. They teach most of the time God is up to more, working in visible, subtle ways, so much so that we simply cannot see it or understand what he's doing. So we should not be surprised that we don't see miracles and signs today because of our limited human understanding. We can't see them. So as I said, they're the main three. Now, I know there are others, but most theologians believe any argument of why we don't see miracles as much today comes from one or a mixture of these three put together. That all miracles, signs and wonders have ceased or never happened or can be explained away. So now you may be sitting there and thinking, don't agree with any of that. Great. If you don't agree with any of that, if I was to ask you, then please stand up and answer me this question. Why don't we see miracles happen today like back then? What would you say? I mean, if it's true that miraculous signs and wonders were done to authenticate the preaching of the gospel, how come we don't see them today? 
If I was to ask you, can you think of a time when an unexplained blessing or miracle or sign or wonder happened in this church? Could you share one? Does God still do signs and wonders today? Or is there something wrong with our ability to see them? Or do we lack faith necessary for God to work in our midst? What are the explanations for all of this? Are these people right? Were signs and wonders in the New Testament purely designed by God to help people recognise the authority of his apostles? And once that foundation's been laid, they're gone. Now this has happened, have signs and wonders stopped? And if they haven't stopped, why don't we see them? I guess you understand there is no easy answer to this question. For sure, there is no doubt that God doesn't simply perform miracles because we want him to thrill us. And there is also no doubt that God's works are not done to perform. God never does things to perform. God always does things to fulfil. Now, please note, I don't profess to know an answer, but I do have some thoughts. I believe miracles, signs and wonders haven't stopped today. Throughout scripture, signs and wonders are consistently united with the preaching of the word. Even Jesus said the supernatural signs and wonders are to accompany those who believe. That's you and that is me. But what we also see consistently throughout scripture, hardened hearts can stop the miracles of God working. Both Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus did not do many miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. Even with today's passage in Acts, some theologians say the miracle of the apostles were able to be done and were possible only because of the recipients who were everyone was filled with awe. They say take out the awe and the respect of those people and maybe the signs and wonders may not have happened in such a grand scale. Now, you may disagree with me, but I can't help this. Some Christian churches today are simply not open to the miraculous. In fact, sometimes it scares them. I remember I'd, I'd never stepped foot out of Australia. I was Australian born and bred, and it was in the year 2000. I went and visited a friend of mine, um, Ben Haywood, I don't know, he was a Melbourne guy, but he worked for ABMS and he was over in Papua New Guinea. And I went over to visit Ben and um, Ben said, oh, Garth, just to let you know, he says, I have one of the local girls living with me. Um, she's 12. Her dad died. And I said, oh, yeah, no worries. So anyway, her name was Bernadette and I'd been there a couple of nights and I was speaking with Bernadette in her bedroom. And, um, and I said, oh, Bernadette, so sorry about your dad. It must have been a real shock. And she said to me, no, it wasn't a shock because we knew it was going to happen. Now, her dad was a farmer. He pulled a tractor up at a fence, got off the tractor, went behind the tractor and somehow it slipped and rolled over at the top of him and killed him. And I said, you didn't know it was going to happen. How could you know it was going to happen? It was an accident. It was a freak accident. And she said, oh, no. She said, this bird came and flew and landed on our windowsill and spoke to us as a family and said, oh, the head of the house has been, is about to be taken away, so you need to get your house in order and prepare for that. Okay. 
So I got up and I walked out of her bedroom and I went out to Ben. I said, oh, Ben, you've got to get this girl help. I said, she's gone nutso. The grief's really affecting her. And he said, why? And I told her, I told him exactly what she told me. And he said, Garth, I have two questions for you. I said, yeah. And he said, question number one, he said, do you think I'm an honest man? And I said, Ben, as a mentor of mine, you have been the most honest, straightforward talker that I've ever met in my life. I said, yeah, you're one of the most honest men I've met. And he said, Garth, I've seen animals talk in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. It's rampant. And he says, Garth, the second question I have for you, do you believe a donkey can talk? Yeah, but. Do you know, I remember when we went to Sherberg, um, they had a swimming hole called the Bogganol. And um, it was along a creek and stuff like that. And there was a story how there was an evil thing called the Mundagari. And the kids were told, don't swim at the Bogganol after five or six o'clock because the Mundagari will get you. And I remember my girl said to Michelle and I one day, Dad, is this Mundagari story, is this true or not? And I said, oh, no, it's not true. It's just there, you know, just to probably scare the kids or something. And anyway, I had two elders of the church who I respect greatly. They said, hey, Pastor, come here, Pastor, come here. I said, yeah. He said, Dad, just be very careful here. He said, I've seen it. He said, the Mundagari is real and I've seen it. So I rang my mentor who'd been working with Aboriginals in uh, Catherine for five years and I said, do you believe this could be true? And he said, Garth, of course it's true. And he said, we're not open to it in our Western world. He said, Garth, if you stay at Sherberg, you will see and you'll experience things like you never, ever thought could ever happen. He said, Garth, you will be amazed. So Christian churches today, we're not open. In fact, sometimes it scares us, especially when it comes to healing. Do you know, I've churches that said to me, Garth, we believe in miracles, signs and wonders, but we just don't chase them or we just don't have them as part of our service. We don't offer prayers or healing or anything like that. And I often reply, why not? Satan's doing it. And they say to me, what do you mean? I tell them all throughout our Bible, we're told and warned about the counterfeit signs and wonders Satan is doing. You heard from our reading today, even way back in Deuteronomy, it was happening. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, Satan will display all kinds of signs, wonders, miracles to deceive those who are perishing. Jesus told us towards the end of time, the false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs, miracles and wonders. This theme is also emphasised in the book of Revelation, where it speaks of the deceiving power of the beast. Revelation 13, 13 and 14 says, And he performed great miracles, signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven in fuel of man. Signs and wonders in themselves can be the work of the enemy of God. They can be used by Satan to deceive people. I can't see him stopping. So why should the church... So I asked the churches, why let Satan win when it comes to miracles, signs and wonders? As I said, I believe miraculous signs and wonders still happen today. As an encouragement, can I share with you some of the miracles I have seen? I was a member of the high school ministries group in Adelaide and we used to go into schools. I remember we were in this one school, we were talking about the power of prayer and um, we had this kid come out in a wheelchair and she, he had deformed legs or something. 
And he said, I, I want pray, prayer for my legs because I want to be able to walk. I thought, oh, rub it. Yeah, I, anyway. And I thought, oh, no way, I hate this stuff. But, um, and I said, oh, okay, we'll pray for you. And I said to everyone, can we close our eyes? And this one kid in the corner had an attitude problem. He said, no, I'm not going to close my eyes. It's all our rubbish, he said. I said, okay, well, you can just sit there while I pray. And um, I actually didn't pray. I handballed it to the guy who was running it. I said, this is yours. And, um, and anyway, he prayed. And, and I remember I opened my eyes and the first thing I saw was the kid in the corner. And he was as white as a ghost. He was, and I said, are you all right? What's going on? And he didn't speak and he just went, and he pointed. And I turned around and this kid's legs were straight as an eye. I remember when I was in Sherberg, we often had meals underneath the church. And one day we didn't have enough food and um, something miraculous happened. Arnie Ada, who was a wonderful elder, and she had a tray like this and it had uh, chicken curry and rice, which is Aboriginal's favourite food, believe it or not. And, um, and she had alfoil over it about three quarters, half the way through. And, and she served about 10 people and she thought, this is really weird. She served 20 people and she said, this is really weird because this tray doesn't do that much. And she said, Pastor, Pastor, come here, come here. And I went over and she just kept serving and it never ran out. And so old logical man here, I went to grab the alpha. I said, oh, let's see what's happening. And she hit me. <laughs> she said, don't touch, don't touch. She said, let's just keep trusting and let's just keep going. We served about 120 people with half a tray of curry and rice. I'm not sure if it made the news here, but I remember back in 2016, there was a news story that crippled and divided Queensland. It was all about the Sisson family, who were a Christian family from a Pentecostal church in Brisbane. It was Christmas 2016, and the family were looking at Christmas lights at a house. When a motorist took a corner too quickly and lost control of his ute, he hit a parked car and he also hit nine-year-old boy who was a member of the Sisson family. The driver was tested and his blood alcohol limit was three times over the legal limit at the time of the crash. The little boy, whose name was Josiah, was taken to hospital with critical injuries and placed on life support. But sadly, three days later, on a Tuesday, Josiah died. The night after turning off their son's life support, the father, who was a pastor of the Potter's House in Brisbane, Pastor Carl made a phone call. You wouldn't believe it, he rang the driver. He rang the driver and invited him to attend a special Wednesday night service that they were holding the very next day for his son Josiah. Lo and behold, the driver turned up. During this service, the father extended an offer of forgiveness and even hugged the driver. I was going to have the photo, but I was scared of crashing the internet again. Photos were taken of the child's father, this pastor, hugging the man accused of killing his son. Let me tell you, this sent shockwaves through Brisbane. As I said, it divided the city and it even divided Christians. One paper put the title over the photo of the little boy's father holding the drunk driver and said nothing but a true act of forgiveness. Some Christians totally agreed with this caption, while others said absolutely not. Typical Pentecostals have lost touch with reality again. The family 
was hounded for days by the press and the pastor always made the same comment. He said, I do not condone the behaviour of the driver. I'm just trying to forgive the man so he can move on and so can I. We all like to talk about forgiveness, but really are faced with it in reality. I think it's extremely powerful and extremely challenging. He said, this has definitely been a test of what I believe and more importantly, a test of what I preach from the pulpit. Our church teaches forgiveness and God offers everyone a second chance. Think about that for a minute. Someone kills your child and then you forgive them. It wasn't easy. The father also said that he prayed. He said, I prayed that he would not be angry when he met the driver at that church service. Not be angry? How can you not be angry? How can he so publicly forgive and embrace this man? Only by the miraculous wonder of the grace of Jesus Christ at work in his life and through him. So maybe miracles and signs and wonders today do make our news. Miraculous signs and wonders are still present today in the Christian church. Christ is still at work. And let me tell you one of the greatest miracles you will ever see. If you are here today as a born-again believer, then you have received the greatest miracle that any human could ever experience. It's a miracle in the sense that you were once an enemy of God. You were blind, but you can now see. You were separated from God by your sin. Jesus took on your wrath in your place. God sent his Holy Spirit to reveal who Jesus was. He turned your heart of stone into a heart of flesh and you have now entered eternal life that can never, ever be lost. You know, people have asked me, what's the most powerful words in the Bible? I have two. I think for me the two most powerful words in the Bible are but God. Go and read your scriptures and see when the word but God happens. You were dead in your transgression following your own sinful life, but God stepped in. You were once an enemy of God. You were doing whatever pleases you, but God stepped in. I can't help but think this is the greatest miracle of all, a miracle that surpasses all other miracles that have ever been written about in the Bible. So even if we don't frequently see extraordinarily miraculous event, God is active. He is miraculously calling people to himself and his church is still growing today. In the church today, there are miracles of hardened hearts being totally changed to follow him. There are miracles of marriage beyond hope being restored. There are miracles of people with addictions being broken, being set free and being healed. This is the miraculous wonders and work of Jesus Christ. These are the signs and wonders that should fill us with awe and we should still be amazed about it. Why? Because they are miraculous works of God the Father. He is still at work today. Let me finish with a quote from New Testament scholar Wayne Grudgeon. This is his quote. There is nothing inappropriate in seeking miracles for the proper purpose for which they are given by God, that being to conform to the truthfulness of the gospel message to help those in need, to remove hindrances, to help people's ministries and to bring glory to God. Miracles still happen and Christians should avoid the two extremes. 
the extreme of seeing everything as a miracle and the extreme of seeing nothing as a miracle. Whether or not we're privileged to witness a miracle or supernatural events, we as Christians can be confident that God is actively at work in our world, bringing people to himself, bringing glory to his son and building his church. It is important for us to remember that this is God's church. It is his mission and his family. Just as he's called those believers together back in Luke's day, today this is the group of people that he's called together according to his purpose. So we can know God will accomplish his mission through us. You know what that means? There will be times in this church where God things happens and I'm praying and hoping that God things do happen. What are God things? As I said before, things that happen that cannot be explained other than by the fact, look what God did. What's our part? God wants us to be people who will trust him beyond our own human senses, understanding and experience because that's what gets in the way. That's what stops the miracles from working. Never forget that God can do anything he wants, whenever he wants and however he wants. In a God-honouring church, God things will happen and, yes, God things should fill us with awe and amazement. How great would it be when someone describing Packenham Baptist Church, they say this, the people there are full of awe and God's works are mighty and great. How good and great would that be?